This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Wrestling Omakase, and it's episode number 221, and this week I am very pleased to be joined by a first-time guest. Hello, Devin. Hey, John. Thank you for having me. Uh, you're welcome. Very loud car in the background there as you were <laughs> introducing yourself. Well, we live in New York. These things happen. <laughs> it's true. Everybody always like gets on me for all the background noise, and it's like, what do you want me to tell you? The ice cream man is here. I can't help it. <laughs> He's like, he loves his neighborhood, but... Uh, the people who live out in, uh, I guess, the suburbs or whatever don't understand it. But what are you going to do? Liam in Australia, who's just surrounded by kangaroos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, of course, like I said, you're a first-time guest. Uh, pretty much just I needed a guest this week, and I know you watch this stuff, so I figured uh, you'd be a good one to bring on. I don't know if you, you're not, you don't write for any websites or anything, right? No, I don't. Yeah, you just, uh, I mean, I know you because you DM me a lot on Discord. So if anyone wants to I'm, know how to get on the show, harass John. <laughs> DM me a lot on Discord. I'm sorry about that. Should I not DM you? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying that's how I that's how I know you. you asked, <laughs> yeah, I know. You, I like that you asked asked me to be on without knowing my name. That's true. I had no idea what your name was. <laughs> I just know you as gig me like a butcher on the on the Discord. But no, I mean I, I don't mind your DMs at all. But I'm just saying if people want to know, I guess how to how to get on the show. I think my plan was originally to be on for Fantastica Mania, but then I stopped watching CMLL. So Yeah. So we're here, of course, to discuss two different shows, the King of DDT Finals and the Elite version one. I originally pitched it to you as DDT Finals and then there's Noah Corrigan, but that Corrigan like, had a really boring card, just a bunch of tags, basically. And then I forgot that Gleet was this week, and I was like, wait a second. Obviously, we have to talk about Gleet. So. I, I actually saw the Quark and Card. I was like, why don't we just do Gleet? But it felt yeah. weird because I was the guest. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, Gleet, of course, was back on July 1st. And the King of DAT Quark was yesterday, July 4th. The only interesting thing to come out of NOAA was the N1 schedule. Oh, what, what, is it, what does that kick off? September 12th at Quark. And then there's like three days, I think the 18th through 20th, that are studio shows. Um, then the 26th at Quark and then October 2nd at Quark and that's it. Okay, so it'll be a short one this year. Yeah. And then I guess they're also, I, I guess it'll be up against the G1 again. 
Could that probably be the same time that yeah, because last year G one was late September to like October twelfth. Yeah. yeah, and I think it sounds like it's going to be the same thing. So, uh, but yeah, there you go. So, Devin, when I have a new guest on here, I always like to start by asking them, "How did they get into, or how did you get into uh, pro wrestling, and specifically?" How'd you get into Puro since that's what we mostly discuss here? I got into wrestling, I think, early fall of 98. It was like when they were doing the Mankind Rock thing that culminated at Survivor Series. Mm-hmm. And then I kind I of... I have no idea how old you are either. Are you like my age? I'm a little younger than you. I was born in 88. Oh, yeah, barely. Yeah, yeah, it's like two years. Yeah, so I said a little. Someone says they're a little younger than me, I think like 90. I think. Yeah. Like, 88 to me is, like, almost the same age. Yeah. I'm the same age as Joel from Super J Guest. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, So then, like, I kind of gave up in 2002, like, after it got really dull. And then I got bored and got back into two and sort of watched WWE and ROH. And then when Jeff Jarrett brought over Wrestle Kingdom, Mm. that's when I got into New Japan. And I think a year later. So you were another... uh... Wrestle Kingdom 20, what was that, 2015, right? 2015, yeah. Wrestle Kingdom 9. Yeah, so you were another Wrestle Kingdom 9 guy. But then yeah, I hopped a, right on with New Beginning. Yeah, there's a lot of Wrestle Kingdom 9 people, I feel like. That's a really, because of the the, the Western pay-per-view thing, that's a really popular one. I always find it really uh, funny that Jeff Jarrett's like one of the biggest reasons for the New Japan Western expansion. <laughs> it is pretty funny. <laughs> it's like, everybody has Jeff Jarrett to thank. Uh, but yeah, there you go. That's how Devin got started. Anything else been going on with you lately, Devin? What have you been doing up to? Nothing. I work from home like everyone else does now, and it's like quiet. I had, a, I had like a I had like a fucking uh, a scare with that where my boss during our, one of our weekly Zoom meeting on Friday was like, "Yeah, we want to start bringing people back in the office twice a week." Which you know, twice a week doesn't sound that bad, but my commute is like murder because you you know where I live, I think, and it's like yeah, basically, you live in the Bronx. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to get into the exact area, but it's really, I live basically in this neighborhood that's like close to the Bronx-Queens border, and it's a long fucking bus ride to New York City, or a bus to a subway, which is also really long, uh, To I mean, to Manhattan proper. Um, so I was not looking forward to doing that commute again even twice a week, but... You know, I basically asked my boss, I was like, hey, does this include me? Do I have to do this? And she's like, oh, no, I know your commute is awful and you you do your work every day. It's, you know, these these unnamed other people who uh, I think need the structure of being back in the office because we can't even tell when they're working. And I was like, oh, OK. I live, <laughs> as, long, as long as I'm not included, I don't really care. I live in it like Southeast Brooklyn. You live in like what? Southeast Brooklyn? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm like 15 minute walk from the train. Yeah. I mean, I would kill to be. That I basically the closest subway to me is the six line, which sucks ass anyway, and it's like a twenty five minute bus local bus ride. Uh, so it is, it is not close. Sorry for stepping in you. I was going to ask you if you're near the D line because I think we'd be on the opposite ends because I'm like the mm-hmm. second to last stop in Brooklyn. Yeah, nowhere near the D line. Okay, so like the closest thing, I think the closest thing after the six is like the A, the A and the B. Yeah. And that's still like another 15 minutes on local bus. So pretty much when I go into Manhattan, uh, if I don't feel like if I don't feel like spending money on Uber, I almost always take the express bus, which, you know, can take on a good day. It can take less than an hour, like 45 minutes to 50 minutes on a bad day, which is many days, uh, especially work days. It can take like an hour and a half. So 
basically save no time compared to the uh, local bus to subway thing. But, you know, it sucks, and I'm glad I don't have to do it twice a week. And, uh, you know, when I go to Manhattan now, I just usually just take Uber because, you know, when you're only doing it like once a week or less, it's really not that bad. Yeah. But, but yeah, uh, that was was my big scare. (laughs) So I'm glad I'm still apparently allowed to work from home full time, which uh, I do not, like I said, I do not want to go. I mean, I'm really not one of these people that like hates being in the office. It's just, it's really just a commute for me that I will not, I just do not want to do again. I just got used to spending all my time with my dog. <laughs> I got used to spending all my time with all my, like, uh, my my giant TV. And now my, I just got a new sound bar. It's so good. My, the, uh, what's it called? The Sonos Arc. It's like, it, it basically makes everything sound not as, cl- as close to, like, theater sound and, like, you know, being in the concert hall for you know, music as you can get without like a full surround sound system. Did you just buy it to fully appreciate the number girl Blu-ray? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but I mean, that was one reason, but I mean, I really just bought it because uh, somebody else in the voice wrestling Slack bought one. It was a uh, Chris Samsa actually. And he was like raving about it. And I had, it, it was, some, it was in the back of my mind. I was like, you know, think I had been thinking about getting a sound bar for, for a while because it's like, okay, I have the the TCL Sixers as a TV I got back in October. It's a fantastic TV, especially for the price, but the sound is horseshit. Like this, it sounds worse than my old uh, like Samsung HD TV from like 2008. So it, it like the, the it's it's a thing apparently with uh, with like 4K TVs now is the you know the sound is getting worse and worse. They just were putting less and less care into it. I guess because so many people buy sound bars now. They just don't feel like they have to put that much effort in. Plus, these TVs are so thin, so there's not a lot of room to put the like any kind of speakers in there that are decent. So, you know, it's, it's a well-known issue with modern TVs. The, the speakers generally suck. So I was thinking of getting a soundbar, and he was raving about the Sonos Arc. When I looked it up, it's like, okay, it has Dolby Atmos support without needing anything else. Especially, I wanted that without needing a subwoofer, because, like, this this soundbar by itself is already probably pushing the limits of what I can get away with in my apartment without the the neighbors revolting. So I figured, you know, I, I definitely don't need a separate subwoofer. I mean, the only thing against it is it is very expensive. So I had to like debate if I wanted to justify paying the price, but I, I did feel, pay for it. I feel so. like the saga of your television has been like a six month theme on Amakaze. <laughs> it may have been, but yeah, the, the soundbar really is like, uh, you know, it just makes, if you can find Dolby Atmos music, which is really hard to find, like Apple Music only has, I, I went through my entire library and I think there's like five songs on there that have the Dolby Atmos spatial audio so far. So it's really limited so far. But when you do find those songs, I mean, it sounds amazing. Like it sounds as close to you're, you're in the concert hall as you can get. And like jazz especially sounds really amazing in spatial audio. It's what I've noticed. We're going back but. to the 70s where like there's a new audio gimmick every three weeks. Yeah, that is definitely true. But I mean, Apple Music is also, they rolled out Lossless too, but like I can't fucking tell the difference between the regular and the Lossless. It's pretty, it's pretty, and they even admit that it's kind of hard to tell the difference for most people. Uh, you know, my hearing's not that good. So I mean, I can't, I really can't tell the difference. Well, but so I, one of those things is like you need a really good audio system. Because yeah, I'm sure you probably do. Most speakers don't even carry the frequencies that you lose. Yeah. 
but but the spatial audio does make a big difference. I mean, I played songs back to back in regular and spatial, and like it's just because spatial audio is much more simple, where they're basically because they have they have nine channels to work with, right? On this, because it has the, the whole thing with Dolby Atmos is like you have like two that fire up, and then like sub the standard like seven uh, channels from surround sound. And the spatial audio just separates all these instruments and all these the vocal tracks into different channels. So it, it kind of make it, it makes it feel like the music is like surrounding you or like the music has depth, you know? Yeah. So that's the best way I can explain it. It's really cool if you can get to work. The, like I said, the limitations are A, you need a, uh, a, a either a soundbar or a surround sound system that can do Atmos, which again are almost on all, all on the expensive side right now. I'm sure the prices will come down eventually. Uh, B, you need an Apple TV. You can't you can't play spatial audio through a soundbar surround sound without Apple TV. I mean, you can play. Uh, I think you can do spatial audio through certain headphones uh, with 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 Apple Music, but only if you want to play it through speakers and stuff like that. It's only through Apple TV, which I I bought just for this because I'm a Mark. And C. Uh, you there's only like ten songs or something. I mean, I'm exaggerating with ten. There's a very limited library of songs so far that support it. So well, you have to go in and remix the thing for yeah. it, probably. And also, I'm a Roku user, so yeah. I mean, I have I now have Roku because Roku's built into my TV. I have Apple TV and I have the Fire Stick hooked up so for all for different things. So I have the only thing I'm missing now, I guess, is Google TV which I don't think I'll ever get, but <laughs> I, have, I have three of the amazing streaming things all hooked up to this TV. Uh, but yeah, the spatial, so there's a lot of limitations, but once you get the spatial audio to work, it does sound fantastic. So uh, definitely have to recommend that. But yeah, that's all I've been doing lately is uh, listening to spatial audio and playing my PS5 with uh, this soundbar. And just I watched Dragon it. Ball last night. Oh yeah, the original or Dragon Ball Z? The original with the uh, oh, subtitles. Yeah. Yeah. Was it was it fun? It was fun. I watched the first I've, three episodes. I've never seen the original Dragon Ball. I've seen Dragon Ball Z. Obviously. It's kind of dirty for a kid's show. Yeah, I always kind of heard that. You see baby Goku's dick in the first episode. <laughs> Repeatedly. <laughs> like he takes a whiz while fishing. <laughs> and then a fish bites his tail and while it's dragging him underwater, you keep seeing like the outline of his dick. Yeah. Wow, you, you live in an even noisier neighborhood than I do, buddy. These <laughs> cars going through. Well, that's actually a fire engine. So I say. I guess they could um, burn to death for our podcast. <laughs> they could burn to death and not just run through a podcast. Um, but yeah, the, the only anime I've watched lately is uh, well, season two of Hamifura kicked out, kicked off on I think Friday. I don't know. I don't know if you've watched that. That's uh, no, I haven't yet. It is so good, and uh, you know, the season two episode one, it was kind of like. Uh, jumping back in like oh here's what the characters have been up to since the end of the first season kind of thing and you know there's not a lot of conflict yet or anything but the the characters on that show are so fun to be around and so you know just so amusing that you really don't mind it for that episode you're just like yay it's uh baccarina again we're all very happy to see her i watched jujutsu kaisen for the first time i've heard people people keep telling me to watch it i haven't done it yet it doesn't it doesn't have an ending so fuck it oh yeah it's one of those, I'm not a big anime person, but like where they only adapt to a certain point in the manga. Mm-hmm. So well, like, they could do another, they could, they could get another season. Yeah, I guess. but I, th- I, was, I wasn't sure if it was or not. So it's just like, oh, you ended like a quarter of the way into the story. 
that's there's so many shows like that. Like I was just watching uh the other thing I watched recently was the the second OVA for Walter Coy, which is like another show that only adapted so much of the manga and now it's been like two and a half years or something since they've done done the first season. No second season yet. The manga has gotten way ahead and they've just been dropping these little OVAs, I guess, to keep people interested who don't read the manga. All right. Well, they come they actually come back in with the manga in Japan, I think. But yeah, I watched it. The second one just came out, and there's supposed to be a third one in, I think, this fall. And then maybe we'll finally get a second season next year. But that's a very like cute show, if people listening and don't know what that is. It's like uh Winter Koi, Love is Hard for Otaku. It's a uh, it's one of the few anime I can think of that follows around people in their twenties at least, instead of like, you know, teenagers and stuff. And you know, it's like all about their, uh, you know, like their love lives and generally being uh, difficult because they're, you know, hardcore anime manga fans and stuff. It's pretty much all there in the title, I guess. But it is a very amusing show. I mostly like when the Japanese animate violence and or robots. Yeah. I like a lot of that stuff, too, but I've been more into, I mean, I really, I'm, I'm like, I've been watching a lot of Izakai lately, and then... Um, you know, I've, I've, I've grown to appreciate like, you know, slice of life, like rom-com stuff too, which is, uh, you know, slower paced and not as, uh, I guess, grim dark as a lot of anime can get, but I like, the phrase, I, really, I, I like the phrase grim dark. Yeah. I mean, I like grim dark stuff. Don't get me wrong, which is like, you know, I just haven't, like, I'm trying to think what's the last, what is the last like grim dark thing I've watched? Maybe it was Tokyo Ghoul. Jujutsu Kaisen is very grim, dark. Yeah, but it has a very upbeat end theme song. Well, that's cool. I a lot of shows do. A lot of those shows do have. It always amuses me. It's like um, where Gundam Wing has like the what just communication as the opening theme, like the weird techno song about falling in love in the rain. Yeah, well, and, the, and then the ending song is like, "Here's Valina with some animals and you know, happy, happy." And it's like <laughs> this show is about everybody dying. Or like being unless you're a named character, then somehow you survive. <laughs> yeah, or or you you only get scarred by war in that case. Yeah, and like it's not it is not like the ending makes it seem like it's fun to be Rolina Peacecraft. It is not fun to be Rolina Peacecraft. I mean that that woman goes through a lot in that show. Exactly. So, <laughs> it's very like it's uh it's, it's like the kind different. of ending you'd expect for a Pokemon or something. Yeah, yeah. it is very very strange, but. Anyway, we should probably talk about some wrestling because it's like yes. 17 minutes. Uh, let's get to these two shows. Uh, first, actually, I got to plug the Patreon, so let me do that first. So, uh, you probably noticed that you only get two free episodes a month now on the free feed. Uh, the other two episodes for the month are Patreon exclusive. So, if you want to go back to hearing Wrestling Omakase every week, you have to sign up for the Patreon. Uh, you can do that at patreon.com slash wrestling omakase. It is only $5. It's the start of a month, which makes it a great time to sign up. Uh, I can tell you this this month, uh, well, coming up next week, we'll have a new show covering the, because I know we haven't done much New Japan in a while, so we will cover the New Japan uh, summer struggle in Sapporo shows next week. So that'll be exclusive to the Patreon. And then I believe two weeks after that would pro- oh, so yeah, the other big Patreon will, will be a uh, you know, the Russell Grand Slam and Tokyo Dome review, that will be exclusive to the Patreon as well. So, you know, that's how the timing works out. And then there's so, those three shows that lead up to it, the two Osaka and then the Goya. Yeah. 
I figure we'll cover those as well. So, you know, we'll see what the cards are like, though. We have for sure the Tokyo Dome will be out on the Patreon exclusively. Uh, so if you want to get that New Japan coverage, uh, it is exclusive to the Patreon this month. Uh, also coming up on the Patreon this month, we're going to resume our Tokyo Dome one-match series. So if you weren't around for that last time, we were covering every Tokyo Dome main event in order. Uh, you know, I go into other detail on the show in general. I talk about what else, whatever else was going on on the card. Uh, you know, whatever else was going on with the promotion. I use the uh, the eggshells book. I always go through the chapter on that at least before uh, I do the episode. And you know, that has, that has great information on each show. And then I obviously do some research on my own as well. But yeah, I mean, these are a lot of fun to do. Uh, we did them originally leading up to Wrestle Kingdom this year and then after Wrestle Kingdom. So we did uh, 1989 through 95. Uh, it's like mid-95. So that's all up right now on the Patreon for you to listen to if you sign up. And we're going to resume in, in mid-95 uh, with Keiji Muto versus Nobuhiko Takata later this week from the first ever New Japan versus UWFI Tokyo Dome show uh, from, I believe, October 95. It's October, so, yeah. Yeah, so that'll be a lot of fun to do. Uh, we'll talk all about what led up to that feud and, you know, what kind of state UWFI was in and all that. Uh, but yeah, so that'll be a lot of fun. So the last one you did was Bridge of Dreams? Yeah, the last one I did was Bridge of Dreams, which was I, will probably end up being the worst match of the series. <laughs> that Shinya Hashimoto... The semi-main uh, event is great. The All Japan The All Japan, yep. yeah. I mean, the All Japan Six Man's awesome, but that New Japan, the main event was... Uh, Masio Chono versus Tsuna Hashimoto, which sounds great, but... It's the worst I, match they ever had together. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> I mean, they went out there and basically did nothing. And I, I don't even know... I mean, this is so... It, it was so bad that, like, I've... There, people have had conspiracy theories that New Japan hated Tarzan Yamamoto so much because he was the editor of uh, Weekly Pro Wrestling at the time, and, you know, he was, like, very critical of New Japan at times. Ricky Kyoshi's arch nemesis. Yeah, and he, and this was, and people don't know, the Bridge of Dreams shows, show was this interpromotional show uh, put on by the Weekly Pro Wrestling magazine. So this main event was so horrible that the conspiracy theory that New Japan hated this Yamamoto guy so much that they told their guys to go out there and have a shitty main event on purpose just to screw with him, uh, it, it's plausible. I mean, <laughs> this looked like two guys, uh, you know, that we're fucking not trying to have a good match at all. Now, on the other hand, it, it kind of makes them look a bit terrible, given that, uh, you know, their, their their rival company went on and had like a four three-quarter star match, uh, you know, right before that. But like, you know, I don't know. It was well, just really cool. she was at the war show at Cork and Hall that was going on at the same time. Yeah. He main evented. So I don't. Maybe he told them to go out there and fucking suck a dick or something. But, uh, <laughs> do you know the Fumi really... Saito story from that show? Uh, I probably do, but why don't you go ahead and tell? He it? organized the whole show for Weekly Gong, uh-huh. and then he had to go and cover WrestleMania 11 instead of actually going to that show. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, he had to go to Connecticut to um, watch. Bam Bam you... Bigelow and L T and L Taylor. <laughs> you know why Ward didn't participate, right? Uh, Tenru, yeah, well, because yeah, Tenru, because because basically, all Japan paid Weekly Pro Wrestling to do this this really famously negative coverage of a uh, Super World of Sports, the Megani Super promotion. You know where he refer because like he he was the one who kept referring to Megani Super as the black ship, 
uh, you know, that was sailing in off of their UWF backing. And then he deemed SWS as sellout pro wrestling and then got like intensely personal about Tenru. Um, well, you know, there is actually recovering some recovering a match with someone who was in SWS later. So I guess let's yeah. start with Gleet. <laughs> but yeah, Tarzan Yamamoto, uh, you know, he, he revealed in his own tell all book that he got paid uh, 500,000 yen which is about $5,000 by Giant Baba uh, of, you know, obviously of all Japan at the time to, uh, you know, basically trash the SWS, which first of all, that just sounds like a very small amount of money <laughs> to do all that. I'm like, wow, you only got 5k to like, I, a lot of people didn't like Kenra either. So I think that might be it. <laughs> you only got 5k to destroy this man's entire promotion. It's like, okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, FMW paid like $3,000 for a cover. In the early years, it's like, circulation was four hundred thousand a week, and it was only three grand to get on the cover. Yeah, well, apparently, but I just saying, like, you only only takes like less than double what it takes to get on a cover to get a to to trash a promotion for years and years. It's very bizarre. I wonder what but, he paid the Japanese tabloids for the Tenru penis enlargement rumor. <laughs> uh, around yeah. that time, <laughs> it's a. Uh, it, but there you go. That's where, that's where we left off the Bridge of Dreams main event. Okay. Uh, and we're getting back to the, uh, you know, that that house show main event. Basically, is what it was. I mean, that's what it was. It was like a, a it screamed like a house show main event in a random village, uh, except like a bad one. And th- there was a main event of a Tokyo Dome show. It's very bizarre. It's what you get uh, punished for living in Gifu. Yeah. So we we covered that one as the last one, and now we move on to the New Japan versus UWFI feud. And like I said, that is available uh, starting this week. We also just finished our Tanahashi Naito one match series, where I covered all ten of the Tanahashi Naito matches. That was very entertaining. Uh, thank you. I was Patreon number fifty, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. But uh, did you did so? Did you let you you can talk about that? It's great to have somebody else other than me uh, talk about how great the Patreon was. What did you like about the series? I just I liked. I haven't listened to the last one yet, but generally with the one match series, I like kind of reliving the ones I was watching actively and I kind of like just the historical context context, even though I know a lot of it for New Japan on the ones pre- prior. It's like a nice twenty five minute walk the dog listen. Yeah, usually. so there you go. So I try to keep them to like around 25, 30 minutes. Sometimes I fail and go like forty five, but you know, it depends on how much historical stuff I have to go you into. You tend to go more excited you tend to be more excited about Naito. Really? And so this is a stunning stunning revelation here. I know. It's uh, almost like if you did a Tai Chi one like they would be all be an hour and a half long. <laughs> uh, but there you go. That was the Naito Tanahashi series just wrapped up. And I probably will post a ranking on the Patreon uh, tomorrow or Wednesday or something. So that'll be fun to do. But yeah, so the Tokyo Dome series, that's resuming on the Patreon. Uh, Which is a lot a, of fun so far. Yeah. So we might do a new anime omakase series episode finally. Uh, should be all sorts of stuff coming up. And my anime omakase co-host is right here trying to very, very uh, quietly, if she can, move something back into the bathroom. Do you want to say hello, Nicole? Hello. Okay. She's Hi, Nicole. Uh, my, my co-host says hello as well. Okay. Uh, so they, there's Nicole. We might do a slime, uh, a slime anime omakase soon. That's what we were talking about. So anyway. Uh, because we already did a Hamai Furry one, so I can't do that again until at least the second season's over. But 
Uh, but yeah, so all that is on the Patreon. Again, patreon.com slash wrestling omakase. It is only $5, a quite the deal, if I do say so myself. And you get all that audio content I mentioned, plus everything we've ever done, which includes, I mean, if you've never been a patron before, uh, you can sign up right now. You can listen to, you know, if you have like a road trip or something coming up, I mean, I have tons of five matches episodes up on there that are exclusive to the Patreon that are basically timeless, you know, because we're all talking about old matches. Uh, I did a series on Naito versus Ishii for the one match, which are, covered all those in order. I did a series on Tanahashi versus Okada, covering all those in order. Um, and for both of those, going just basically going into everything those guys were doing in New Japan during throughout the series. So you also you know. get like all the great mid tour World Tag League, <laughs> where you're ready just to give up on life because <laughs> they won't. You do get the World Tag League reviews in every other tournament I've covered. If you want to go back and see how I dealt with that, yeah. Uh, but yeah, then you also get, uh, the, the patron submitted matches, which are a lot of fun. And we'll probably do another round of those at some point. Uh, I forget. Did you submit something? I, I submitted the, um, Takashita Yoshiko match. Oh, well, that was a great submission. The Boneyard parody. Yeah. 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 That was awesome. That was a lot of fun to talk about. So definitely, uh, tune in for that one if you missed that one. But yeah, so it's all there. Patreon.com slash wrestling omakase. Only $5, and you can sign up today. All right, so let's get into our first of the two shows here, which was the King of DDT 2021 final from July 4th, Cork and Hall, a 621 fans, super no vacancy because of COVID restrictions, of course. Um, you know, we usually, we usually like to start at the top and work our way down. doesn't make a lot of sense on this show, though, because uh, then we'd be talking about the final before the semifinals, so... I think I'll just go in normal match order here. So that means we start out here with the KOD eight-man tag team titles, Yoshiaki Yatsu, Akito, Hiroyoshi Yamato, and Keigo Nakamura defeated Shanshiro Takagi, Yuki Onaya, Chikara, and Nabe Yakan. Uh, Yatsu submitted Naya with the jail lock in 1206. So Team Thoroughbred fails in V2, and Team Olympian have become the fifth KOD eight-man tag team champions. Um, so Takagi and Yatsu started here. Yatsu, Yatsu's metal foot kicks were like extra devastating. That was kind of funny. And then he hit a nice belly to belly suplex as well before they both tagged out. I mean, if people haven't seen Yoshiaki Yatsu wrestling on one leg and the, uh, you know, the, I guess what would that be called? A prosthetic, right? It's a prosthetic leg. He's also 60 fucking four. Yeah. I mean, he, he is impressive. I mean, for what he, for what he is able to do here. I mean, he was impressive in the battle Royal. Uh, back at the uh, Cyberfight Festival as well. But the rest of the match was not that impressive, I have to say. Uh, Yamato and Takagi, they got in a sliding X-War when they crossed X's. That was a little funny, I guess. Uh, Takagi came out on top with a stunner. And then Chikara came in and started throwing a lot of chops on Yatsu. And that's unfortunate because he has maybe the worst chops in all of wrestling. Chikara is a guy, he really straddles the line between funny bad and so bad it's not funny more than any other wrestler I've ever seen where I there are some matches where I find him to be hilarious and I'm enjoying him and he's you know he's trying his hardest and this is the best he can do and it's fine but he's you know he's he's funny bad or you just kind of want to root for him oh he's shit okay and there's other matches where he's just absolute fucking horrible horrible shit and that was his match I mean pretty much every moment he was in this match uh, he he made this match much, much worse. 
So, you know, and he was in this match way too much, honestly, for an eight-man tag. So we have new champions. Uh, I just didn't think this was very good, though. Pretty dull and actively bad when Jakar was in there. Uh, I went like two and a quarter, which might even be generous, honestly. I went two and a half just because I was so amused by Yasu. That's fair. Any other yeah. thoughts on this one? Uh, not really. Do you know the Yasu's first televised match was in Madison Square Garden? Uh, I did not know that. Yeah. It was like Inoki thought he was going to be the super rookie. I guess he was like the first one. Oh, so he I sent see. him to WWF and his like fourth match ever was beating someone at the Garden. Uh, <laughs> and it aired on TV Asai. Asai. And then you know the rest of the story. He got disqualified from the Olympics famously. Mm-hmm. Because pro wrestling is a sport, including according to the International Olympic Committee. Yeah. Yeah. That, so is, uh, that is something. Uh, but yeah, so there, there is your opener. But that, after that, the show does pick up quite a bit, thankfully. So match number two here was the King of DET 2021 semifinal. Uh, Kanosuke Takashida defeats Daisuke Sasaki with the modified chicken wing face lock in 1658. I do want to mention, uh, as always, thank you to Dramatic DDT for the results. Uh, Jamie does great work, and you can find them at dramaticddt.wordpress.com. Sasaki, of course, he keeps trying to revert to his low-blow illegal tactics that that got him through the first two rounds, Uh, usually, I mean, very quickly in both cases, but he can't quite get to work on Takashita. Paulie then pulls the ref out of the ring and beats Taka, him up. Hold on. Takashita was bragging um, oh, yeah. about his iron balls. His, iron, yeah, was iron iron? I think he said the iron dick or strongest yeah, dick or something. Yeah, the iron dick, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, DDT uh, Pro English. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then we had... Uh, yeah, so, so Paulie pulls the ref out of the ring and beats him up uh, with most of the Sonic Club or be beats up most of Sonic Club on the outside. But then Sasaki accidentally low blows Polly while Polly is holding Takashita for him. Uh, Takashita dobs. Uh, Takashita then hits a perfect Topekan heel on both of them on the outside. Uh, Matsui ends up getting bumped by a charge in Takashita in the corner, but then Takashita blocks another low blow attempt by Sasaki and locks on his signature face lock, but there is no ref to see Sasaki uh, tapping out. So I like the idea of doing a visual fall when you're going to have him win anyway because it does... Kind of feel like he got swerved, you know. Like I was like, "Oh, Sasaki's gonna win again," I guess. Um, I kind of thought that too. How do you? What do you feel about the chicken wing face lock? It's all right. It's not. It's not a. Fa- it's not a submission I dislike, but it's not a submission I like either. Just kind it's, of there. So it's not the money clip. It's not the money clip, but it's not. Uh, but yeah, it's not. It's it's really just there for me. It's there, yeah. Uh, a little bit later, Sasaki tries a suicide dive up to the floor on Takashita, but Taki catches him in midair perfectly. And then drops him right on his head on the outside with a brain buster. That was such a sick spot. And the strength to, to fucking catch this guy in midair, never drop him, lift him, lift him straight up into that brain buster, and just drop him on his head on the floor. That was just so sick. I feel like they do it in every match and every time. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a really impressive spot. Uh, there is a complicated reversal sequence. That sees Takashita eventually drop Sasaki right on his head after he had been trying a Rana. And then he locks back on his submission hold, and Sasaki quickly submits to send Takashita on his way to the finals. I thought this was a damn good ending to the uh, Daisuke Sasaki trying to cheat his way through King of DDT story. Takashita was just able to overcome it and pick up the win. Uh, very simple story, but definitely works. 
I went three and three quarters. Really fun match here. I gave it the same rating. I did like the end when he hit the, what is it, Boosie called? The Bastard Driver? Yeah, I think it's the Bastard Driver. But he kept the um, the waist lock up and just sort of hooked him up and then put on the Cobra Clutch. I kind of like yeah. that as a Yeah, bridge. it looked really cool. So, uh, so then we get to the other semifinal, which was Kasada Higuchi versus Yuji Hino. Yuji Hino beat him. With the, with the fucking bomb and twelve thirty six, I took much less notes on this one. I was just kind of just sitting there enjoying it because, like, you could really close your eyes and picture this match. It's the big boy battle. Uh, you have lots of power moves. You have lots, lots of brain of, claws. Lots of brain claws. Lots of really hard slaps and chops to each other's chests. Uh, both their chests were bruised really bad. Only part way through this match, uh, especially Higuchi's. Honestly, did you see uh, that picture was- of Higuchi after the match that's going around? No, I didn't see it. Oh, it's, it, it, you it could see, it, like, the fingerprints rip. Like, yeah, it's gross. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, so then we, you know, so basically Hino at one point absolutely takes Higuchi's head off with a pair of lariats. And then after pretty much right after that hits the fucking bomb with the pen. So this wasn't long or anything. Like I said, only 12 and a half minutes. But I thought it was awesome. Exactly the big boy battle you would want and hope for. Uh, this was my match of the night. I went four stars flat on it, so... I gave it the same rating. It was also my match of the night. I really love the brain, the dueling brain claw spot. Yeah. Where they both yeah. have the claw on and they're chopping the shit out of each other. I just yeah, like dumb awesome. New Japan Never style matches. Yeah. I mean, this is right. anyone who likes that kind of style, this will be right up your alley. I mean, they're going to be, I mean, that's, that's exactly what I like too. like two dudes beating the piss out of each other. So yeah. that's what this match was. Uh, match number four was a four-way tag team match. Yu-Gi-Oh! Sakaguchi and Saki Akai defeat Chris Brooks and Antonio Honda, Don Shokodino and Yuki Ino, and Yusuke Okada and Yuya Kuroku when Sakaguchi pins Kuroku with the Don Shoku driver in 9.24. Yes, Sakaguchi pinned him with the Don Shoku driver. So, after last time, where we had the drinks that were left out that turned people into polys, this time we saw some more special drinks left out in the open. Uh, Sakaguchi and Saki Akai take them. Vitamin D. Vitamin D, and we see they, they just have a big D on them, and we see it's Dino and Eno watching around the corner. Uh, D, Dino and Eno, they drink two more of the D bottles as they come out. Eno has matching tights to Dito, and they have more of the bottles with them. But then Saki Kai comes out, and we find out she's been brainwashed by the Dino. Well, Saki, well Sakaguchi convinces her to take yeah. them. It's like, might be date rape, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty funny. So she comes out. She comes out in Dino's tights. The music had quickly changed to Dino's, and they—they're telling this weird story where she's like trying to fight off the influence of Dino. Like she nearly goes out in the crowd to get her hands on some random men, but she also looks horrified with herself, and she's trying to fight off the influence. So we have to discuss the lore here. First of all, why did the Don Shoku drink not make her gay? Why did she not want women? Well, you see, because it's. I think it's just that it makes you attracted to men. I see. That's why Dino takes it. Like, maybe, I don't know. Saki-sama has a lesbian version of it. I don't Secondly, uh, how the fuck these dudes in the audience managed to uh, act like they were horrified by Saki Akai trying to kiss them and didn't want to be kissed. I mean, they should win an Academy Award, honestly. I actually... I typed the sentence I never thought I'd type in my life. Saki Akai fights her cursed horny hand. <laughs> like these people, these people in the crowd were like, no, please miss. I'm like, what? I'm like, how are you even doing this? I'm like, they're trying to play along with it because they're supposed to act 
horrified when Dino wants to kiss them. But like, this is an actual model who's acting like she wants to like uh, jump over the fucking thing and get at you. And these men are managing to actually pretend that they don't want this. Maybe so, they're just very afraid of COVID. And it could be, but I honestly, I mean, they, you, they had like smiles on their faces while they're also trying to be like, no, no, please. So I think they were just going along with it because they thought that's what they're supposed to do. Yeah, and they should win an Academy Award, honestly. I, mean, they, I think they, the masks they, helped, though. The masks helped. <laughs> they did a great job uh, acting like they did not want uh, this incredibly beautiful woman to kiss them. Um, but yeah, so she's in the Dino corner. She tries to kiss Honda to start. Uh, and the, the Don Shoku. Akai Saga, the Donchoku Akai adventure really goes off from there. She almost goes for Kuroku's penis. She like reaches over, but she pulls her hand back at the last second. Uh, and then she just kicks him in the chest repeatedly instead, which, uh, you know, he probably would have liked the first thing better. Uh, she almost does the Donchoku nightmare, but she gets, but uh, she gets stopped by Brooks and Honda and Honda again. Thank you to DT English update. Uh, DT pro yeah, underscore that. ENG. Uh, Honda says something like, there are limits. <laughs> something like, which I like, Honda is funny. I like that the first two-thirds of the match, Brooks and Honda were just trying to stop like anything rapey. Like, they're the baby <laughs> faces. And then they they're just like, kind of give up at the end of it. Yeah, they're like, okay, look. Don Chocasino <laughs> doing it is one thing, but we cannot have Saki Akai uh, sexually assaulting anybody. Um, Eno goes for the Nightmare on Okada. Uh, but he also gets cut, cut off by Brooks and Honda, so I guess they were being equal opportunity uh, sexual assault stoppers. And then Saki is left alone with Honda. Uh, she she like she grabs the top rope and starts shaking it like she's the ultimate warrior. <laughs> yeah, I wrote that too. <laughs> I was like fucking crying at that point, and she goes crazy, uh, and she's about to do the nightmare on him. This is where Honda, he says, "There's a limit to what we can do." Oh, yeah. that's where he says it. Yeah. yeah. And he gets out from under the ring and does the Gone the Fox routine. He does the Gone the Fox in Russian part of it. Oh, yeah, that's there you go. Because he keeps going, hard show, hard show, and a couple other words <laughs> I recognize. Uh, we get double asses with Dito and Eno, each exposing their butts in opposite corners. Honda and Yuya keep almost sending each other to Dino's backside before he finally does send Dino. Uh, or he finally does send, uh, I don't know who in. Uh, I don't. I wrote that wrong, so it doesn't matter. It but was, you, I think Kuroko. Yeah, I think Kuroko finally goes in. I said, I said Dino, yeah. in, which Dino did not get sent to his own butt. Uh, Yukio then comes in the ring, reveals that he has Dino's trunks on, on underneath as well. He gives Kuroko a big kiss because he's also succumbed to the D drink, and then he gives he sends him into Dino's ass, hits a Don Shoku driver on him for the pin. Uh, you know, again, the people who can't handle Don Shoku Dino, I get it, but if you can. This was extremely funny. It was one of the best TNT comedy matches I can recall in quite a while. Uh, Saki Akai was so excited at the end when she got back in the ring. And I, I for one, greatly enjoyed the Don Shoku Akai adventure. I don't know. Did you like this? I liked it a lot. I thought it was funny. Although yeah. Yukio, like, ready to getting ready to sexually assault someone is terrifying. <laughs> it is like, a little <laughs> less charming than when Don Shoku Dino does it. It's like, this is not a man you want to meet in the alley. Because he's uh, scary looking even if you don't yeah. know his background. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it is pretty horrifying. Uh, between matches four and five. What did get, you give it? You oh, I, did, I usually don't star rate the comedy matches. Yeah, neither so, do I. Yeah. yeah. But this is really funny. That's 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 what I give it. Really, really fun. If you enjoy the humor, you should watch it. If you hate 
Dino humor, just fast forward. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, it's, it's. I mean, I mean, I think the Dino people who really hate him know that by now. So you know, it's probably not even worth mentioning. But yeah, I mean, you know, if you hate Dino, you hate Dino. I'm not gonna argue with you. So we just got finished talking about Don Shoker Dino. Uh, you know what I think Don Shoker Dino would tell you? I think more than anybody, Dino would tell you that it's very important to keep your best, your uh, men's below the waist grooming uh, in order. So that's why I want to mention right now that support for Wrestling Omakase this week is brought to you by Manscaped. Uh, Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over the technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. 2 million! It's a lot of men. Uh, we have an exclusive offer only for my listeners. 20% off and free shipping with the code OMAKASE at manscaped.com. So again, that's uh, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code OMAKASE at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. That's 20% off, free shipping, manscaped.com. Use code OMAKASE. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Uh, in between matches four and five, we got the announcement of the DO. The first night will be November 3rd at Oda Ward Gym. Uh, and they're calling it DO 2021 Part 2 because, remember, they always call the... the they call it the happens DO. in December and then they yeah. name it for the year they get the yeah. shot in January. Yeah. But now they changed it. So I guess going forward, they're going to be named the year they took place in. I don't know. But yeah, it's a DO 2021-2, which is kind of funny. Uh, match number five is Damnation uh, losing to Disaster Box. So Hiroshima, Torawashi, Naomi Yoshimura, and Kazuki Hirata defeat Tetsuya Endo, Soma Takao, Mad Polly, and Nobuhiro Shimatani. Hirata pins Shimatani with the Miracle One-Shot Cradle in 1151. Uh, Hirata tried to attack them all before the bell, but they all just completely ignore him while they're all posing. Just completely, it's not even no-selling, just acting like he's not even there, which is really funny while he's like trying to attack them. But he gets the last laugh because he pinched him a time at that cradle. Uh, I thought this was fine. Some decent stuff. Yoshimura and Polly having another big boy battle. Uh, and then probably the highlight was a half-dead Hirata trying to dance after we're both falling down. That was funny. I would go three stars on this. It was fine. It was, yeah, it was Gelman's three. Yeah. Nomura has to change his hair color, though, because Julia just switched over to the orange motif. That's true. He can't pull it off half as well. Uh, between matches five and six, we get a match announcement for Peter Pan on August 21st in Kawasaki. A special hardcore tag team match, Mao and Shuma Katsumata versus Chris Brooks and special guest Jun Kasai. That should be awesome. Shunma's going to get blown up, isn't he? Yeah, probably. Yeah. So that is in Kawasaki again, outdoors. Uh, match number six here, the semi-main event of the show, uh, the, uh, the Sa- Sanakamina team of Yuki Ureno, Shuma Katsumata, and Mao defeated the Jun Retsu team of Jun Akiyama, Makoto Oishi, and Hideki Okutani. I'm still disappointed they're not Jun Goon. <laughs> Jungu would be a great name. Uh, Mao Pinto Okatani with the Cannonball 450 and 1105. Uh, you know, this was your pretty typical DT six man. Pretty good. Not that much stood out for me, except for maybe some, uh, you know, particularly fast exchanges down the stretch that were pretty fun. 
So I went three and a quarter. You know, yeah, nothing I, you got to nothing you're going to go out of your way to see here, but it was it was pretty good. Yeah, I went three and a quarter too, but I did like Shunma like just being a little baby the throughout I, the I whole match. Every every match we've had the same rating. We did not we did not tell each other our ratings beforehand. No, no, we were we were off by a quarter star on the first one. Oh, okay, there you go. Uh, and um, like at one point he starts screaming help because Okada, who's Shun Goon second, keeps telling him he's stupid. Complains <laughs> to the referee. That was pretty funny. Uh, the main event, the King of DDT 2021 final, Konosuke Takashida defeats Yuji Hino with the cross-arm German suplex in 1809. Uh, so Hino beats the piss out of Takashida early uh, with chops and etc. He eventually gets a headlock that Takashida can't get out of. Not the most thrilling action, to be sure. Uh, the Randy they te- Orton special. <laughs> they tease that Take is going out. But Hino just kind of weirdly lets him out of it just before the five-minute call. Uh, Take gets his first bit of offense in a while when he puts Hino down with a counter-leg lariat. Uh, what the hell? I don't know what the hell that was. Uh, he ends up jumping jumping right into Hino's arms, though. It was Kind Darryl. of a hokey... I'm sorry? It was Daryl. What was Daryl? The bell sounded. Oh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he ends up jumping right into his arms, which is in kind of a hokey way. It's one of those moves where it's like, what were you even going for other than jump into Hino's arms to get caught in belly-to-belly suplexed? You know, yeah, which I never no, liked that. It's very, it was very obviously countered. Like, it wasn't even like a crossbody that got turned into a fallaway slam or something. Yeah. So Hino puts him right back down at that point. Uh, Takashita fights back with a superplex. Hino gets his foot on the bottom rope, which is weird considering he's taken almost no offense at this point. Uh we get the obligatory elbow exchange, which is pretty decent. They hit each other pretty hard, at least. And then Take rocks Hino with one just before the 10-minute call. Keeps pounding him afterward with Hino holding his hands behind his back, I guess, to show how tough he is. Uh, they do botch a spot right after that, where Takajita is supposed to sort of sunset flip over Hino and then kick him, but he leaps too far over, so they have to awkwardly repeat the sunset flip setup in a way that looks super fucking fake. Uh, thankfully, everything after this is awesome, though. So Hino comes back with a nice exploder, uh, you know, which I guess is fitting when the prize is a title match with Akiyama. And that gets a two count. He goes up top and hits the fucking body press, but Takashita kicks out again. Is it actually called the fucking body press? It definitely is, yeah. It's fucking the fucking awesome. Bo- the fucking body <laughs> Hino goes for the fucking bomb a little later, but Takashita rounds his way out of it and hits a big running knee just before the 15-minute mark. Followed by a second one for a close near fall. Uh, Take then hits a German suplex hold for another very close near fall. Hino hits the fucking bomb but doesn't cover. Just leaves Takashita there looking like he's out of it. I figured that would be his downfall and it was. He signals a lariat, but Takashita fights him off with his own lariats, including a huge running lariat that just kills him. But Hino kicks out at one. And then Takashita ducks another lariat attempt from the enraged Hino. But Hino powers his way free of another German attempt from Takashita. But Take ducks another lariat attempt, traps his arm with the captured German, and that is the pin. So well, I thought this picked up a ton. After well, you missed he also. He caught the first lariat, and then Hino's trying to, like, smash his back with other uh, lariats. That's and then true. he ducks one of those, yeah. Which I thought yeah. was just a really cool way of countering that. Yeah, this really picked up a lot after the rough start. I can't quite go four stars, given how bleh it was early in that major bot spot. So I went three and three quarters again here. Uh, it's not surprising me Takashita won, and that sets up him and Akiyama again with Take likely finally getting his win back 
on August 21st at Peter Pan in Kawasaki. I really like the match, but I think it was kind of obvious they're going to do Takashita versus Akiyama. Because, you know, who else are they going to do? Mm-hmm. And no, I, I saw just, some I, people upset about it. I'm like, well, well, who else is there? I would they have liked to Gucci. I would have liked to Gucci. They did him already, though. You could have him like make a comeback and make him a new yeah, age because he's the beefiest boy. I don't know. I mean, I he knows there, but I never thought they were going to do Higuchi. No, I, I didn't either. Maybe outside chance Sasaki or uh, Endo, maybe but... or or well from from the final four. I mean, maybe Sasaki oh, yeah, or yeah. Hino, but I figured it was Takashi. I figured it wasn't going to be Hino. I thought yeah, Takashita was kind of like. Whatever, it was a good match. I went three and three quarters, too. Everyone else in Cage match thought it was the match of the night, but they were wrong because they're mutants. Yeah, there you go. It's, it does seem to have the highest rating on Grapple so far, too, but it's like a sample size of five people. So No, Cage match is like 24, I think. It, well, yeah, I'm talking about Grapple. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so there you go. That is your DDT, King and DDT final review. Uh, you know, good show. Nothing that's going to blow your mind, but uh, all three of the King and DDT matches are well worth watching. And the four-way tag is worth watching if you're into the DHG comedy. Uh, the rest of the card, very skippable. But those four matches, I think, are, you know, very worth watching. It was uh, nice to see Yatsu win. Yeah. But there you go. That's your. Uh, those are your King of DHG matches. Uh, and we'll have to see what happens in Kawasaki. That is on August 21st. So uh, that'll be fun. I hope they get Onita for that, too. What did, what did Saki Akai tweet that somebody retweeted? I want to see this. Uh, oh, people! People like are drawing her as John Chiquitino. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's horrifying because, well, look at Saki Akai and look at John Chiquitino. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. What is he? Oh, because of a mysterious drink, weird family has been created. And then it's a photo of her with you know Yukio and Dino. <laughs> yeah, that is a. Yeah. Uh, a mysterious drink indeed. Okay, so the second show we're here to talk about is the Gleep version one, which is their official first show, even though they've had other shows before that. They've had like eight shows. <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched any of those pre show pre first show. And, you you know, I haven't know. seen anything from Gleep either. Yeah, so this is my first exposure to them. And this was uh so this was at Tokyo Dome City Hall, July first, twenty twenty one. Now uh, if you don't know anything about Gleet, I will try my best to explain this. They are the new company formed by Ledet, who's the company that used to own for Wrestling Noah before they sold it to Cyber Agent. Uh, they're obviously, there's a lot of crossover with Wrestle 1. You know, Kasagashi is involved. That's a live event promotion company for people wondering. They do concerts yeah. and they do production for, like I guess, fights too. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so they have like a lot of Wrestle One connections here. With the Strong Hearts guys are signed. Uh, Kaz Hayashi is you know a big part of this. Um, Takanori Ito, I think. Takanori from... Ito, Minoru Tanaka, Soma Watanabe, who was the former yeah. Picasso Luminar. So a lot of guys here with Wrestle One ties, and you know they don't have a big roster really. So like there's a lot of guys who are a lot of outsiders being used, which we'll get into. Um, and they're doing basically a format where they're doing both what they call G Pro Wrestling, which is traditional pro wrestling rules, and uh, Ledet UWF, which are a variation on the traditional UWF rules, which are, you know, if you don't know anything about UWF, that's the, you know, very shoot fighting-esque uh, company from the mid-80s, started in the mid-80s, and there were a million offshoots, which 
would take so long to explain it would take up basically mid 80s died for a couple of years late 80s died after a couple of years uwfi job to new japan yeah and- that's the really 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 cliff notes but like you know <laughs> uwf when the, when the second uwf split you get pancreas i mean you basically get pancreas out of that because one of the companies that came out of that split was fujiwara gumi and then uh masakatsu funaki and minoru suzuki and ken shamrock and Ken Shamrock leave to form Pancras. So you get like an actual shoot fighting organization out of that. And then what, what the hell was, oh, and then Rings was the other one. And Rings and became a shoot fighting organization. Rings became a shoot fighting organization. Yeah. So basically the second UWF splits three ways. You, and you, two of them become actual MMA companies. And then only UWFI is to kind of well, save the UWFI becomes Wait, Kingdom. Well, yes. Sorry. UWFI becomes Kingdom. And then Kingdom becomes Pride. So really all three of them eventually become uh, shoot fighting organizations. But yeah, uh, you know, it's kind of, it's been kind of a dead style for a while, but companies always try to, you know, there are a lot of companies that try to revive it. And, you know, we'll we'll go into that when we get to it, because this show is split up in two halves. So like the first four matches are all traditional pro wrestling, and the last four matches are UWF rules. So we'll talk about their UWF rules and how they differ from the traditional ones in a second. So uh, this show opens up with the, like a big pre-show segment. Oh, by the way, this show was on YouTube. It's no longer on YouTube. It's coming because, back uh, in a couple of days, though. Yeah, it's coming back in like a week, I think. July fifteenth. Uh, yeah, July. Yeah, that's, yeah, like ten days. So, you know, these Glee puts up a lot of their shows on on their official YouTube for free. Um, so that's great, obviously, if you want to know how to watch them. They they took them down for ten. They took this one down for ten days because it's about to air on Samurai TV in Japan. So I guess that's part of the the deal with Samurai is they uh, can't have it on free TV during a certain time span. But yeah, so if you want to watch Glee, check their YouTube. It's on. It's in like other places too right now. Like what Billy Billy has it. You said right. Billy Billy, Yuku, and BK all have it. Yeah. So like, if you know where to look for like uh, illegal Japanese wrestling streams, they're all up there. Uh, this is all up on all those. But uh, if you just if you don't want to deal with that, you can wait ten days and watch it on YouTube. So. I watched it illegally. Okay. It I, I, I watched it on the official YouTube. Well, so, because it's great to stream it through my TV. So. Yeah, the, the YouTube app on Roku kind of sucks. So. Uh, I use it all the time. I have no problem with it. I don't know. Uh, it doesn't anyway. So, um, so this show opens up with a pre-show segment with everyone in every match being introduced and coming out to like do a little pose. I thought that's a very cool way to differentiate differentiate themselves from other companies, which has to be a goal here, right? Like you, okay. Like everybody's been talking, I guess, a lot about whether this promotion has any long-term future and i totally get why people say no because it's first of all it's backed by ladette who obviously have not exactly had a sterling track record with noah they had to sell it you know didn't have the funds they only had it for a year right i think they only had it for a year yeah Yeah, because they got it from Uh, to be it's taken it's run by katayashi who used to run russell one which didn't (laughs) didn't succeed either um Although it's not like that died in like two years like people act like russell one was around for a second around for like nine years or something i think I think right, Wrestle seven, One, eight no, years, seven years, twenty thirteen to twenty twenty. All right, seven years. It's still a pretty long time. And the first three um, years, Muda was actually running it, so I blame Muda yeah. as much as anyone. Um. So I, but yeah, I get all this. Like, it's it's a bunch of people who you know aren't known for long term promotions. So I, I get that. But if they're gonna survive, like, what the goal has to be, we have to present a promotion that is different from what everybody else is doing. We can't just be another 
uh, medium-sized indie putting on wrestling. Like, you can't just be another All Japan. Can't be another Big Japan. You have to... I mean, Big Japan differentiates itself, too, with the death match. really can't be another Wrestle 1. Really can't be another Wrestle 1. So what they're trying to do is they, they have a very different presentation. It is very sports-like. And, you know, they, they have this half UWF thing to really try to stand out. And they're doing women's matches, too, which is also... I mean, Wrestle 1 did that. But now you got women's matches with UWF rules, too, which I thought was really cool. And, you know, they, they're just they're doing a lot of stuff that hopefully will help them stand out and look, and look different from other promotions. I mean, watching this show, I guess spoiling my thoughts on it, it definitely made me want to watch more Gleet. So that's a great thing, too. Other thing we should mention, too, is the fucking name. So Do we <laughs> I'm, have saying, to? I'm saying Gleet. They say great. If you listen to the show, it's because L and R is the same thing in Japanese. Uh it really just ha- it's, it's not racist though they're doing it on purpose but i still feel weird doing it i also feel weird i feel weird saying i agree. Right, but but yeah, they're doing it on purpose because like they're replacing the the r of the l uh for ladette that's for i also get down. great joy from saying the word gleet yeah gleet is always just more fun to say but yes yeah, so if you watch the show and you're like they say great constantly i'm like yes they do that's what they're saying but you know it's spelled like gleet it's the so, most fun thing to say in wrestling it's, it's, it's master fun- watto <laughs> It is just a fun thing to say out loud. So I'm going to continue saying Gleet. 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 Uh, so the opener here, so remember the first half of the show is uh, yeah. pro, all the pro wrestling stuff. Gleet pro wrestle, yeah. Yeah. So the opener was the from, from Stronghearts and obviously now signed with Gleet. Because there's one, most of the Stronghearts guys are signed with Gleet. There's one Stronghearts wrestler on this show that is not, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, but yes, the opener here, L. Lindeman defeating Hayato Tamura and 827. So Hayato Tamura, he's a just tap out guy. He actually started all the way back in 2015 with Hard Hit when he did one match for them. Uh, but then he did not wrestle again until he started with Taka in 2019, according to Cage Match. And then he was 0-1 champion less than a year later. And he was 0-1 champion less than a year. Is he, he's not still, is he? No, no, he lost it to Tanaka. Okay. So, yeah, he's been wrestling a lot for 0-1 this year, which I guess makes sense since he was champion. Uh, you know, 21 matches total in 0-1. And Linda Mann, of course, is from Strong Hearts and signed. And uh, the 0-1 junior heavyweight champion. Oh, yeah, there you go. I, see, I don't watch 0-1 at all, so I'm glad you Neither do I, but those are the two belts <laughs> he's carrying to the ring because it's a two-belt title. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. But, yeah, so Linda Mann, uh, of course, from Strong Hearts and signed with uh, the company. Tamura's not signed with the company, so he's still freelance. Uh, Tamura, like most everyone else on Earth, a lot bigger than Linda Man, and it really stands out when they go face to face at the start. Uh, Linda Man does these like really quick set of backdrop suplexes, uh, followed by a snap German after ducking a Tamura lariat. That looked really cool. He tries that judo throw that he does right after that. After a brief struggle, he does finally get him over, which always looks impressive because of the size difference. Uh, but Tamura does kick out. But finally, Linda Mann finishes him off with another German for the win. Really fun opener here. I would go three and a half stars, all action. I went three and a quarter. I really, this is only Hayato's like 52nd match. Wow, that is really guy He got really good really quick. Yeah. And now in Lindemann, of course, is like adorably short. Do you watch, yeah. have you ever seen Adventure Time? Uh... Like a few episodes. Oh, there's a one where he's having a flat, where Finn is having a flashback, and he starts singing a song. It's like I'm a buff baby, I can dance like a man. And whenever <laughs> I see Ellen Lindemann, I just hear in my head, "I'm a buff baby." <laughs> there you go. 
Uh, match number two, Kyoko Inoue defeats Michioko Miyagi in 629. Uh, so we know Inoue here, she's currently from Diana. Uh, she's also 52 years old. She goes all the way back to All Japan Women's in 1990. Uh, Miyagi is the former Cassandra slash Andres. Uh, she previously, previously wrestled under those names for Sendai Girls and Stardom. Lately, she's been mostly wrestling for Actress Girls and the Josie promotion. Uh, but apparently she's signed with Gleet as the graphic informs me. So, And she's not doing any kind of demon gimmick here. She's just a girl. Michiyagi, Michiko Miyagi. I kind of missed a demon gimmick. I'm sure she's probably got tired of doing it after a while. It's like after so many years of doing it. You know, even Undertaker had to go to the biker. It's like, you know, she probably just got tired of being a demon. Don't compare her to the Undertaker. <laughs> she's not a white uh, supremacist. That's true. <laughs> Well, that we, as far as we know, there are some Asian white supremacists, unfortunately. That's so terrifying. I know. I know. They, they fucking Andy Isn't Honda in one of those cults? I think he is, actually. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Andy, I was thinking of that Andy fucking guy, Andy Ngo or whatever, who uh, fucking follows around Antifa and is like, look at them. They're doing stuff. That guy's clearly like, and I think he turned out he worked with the Proud Boys or something. I'm like, you know, you're not white, sir. You're not actually yeah. white. Anyway, uh, but there's nothing wrong with this match. There also wasn't much to it. Uh, Inoue puts Miyagi away fairly quickly with a powerbomb for the win. I went two and three quarters. Not much to recommend here, but it was all right. That was my rating, too. And I would have liked to see like them. I guess Kyoko's limited, but I like Miyagi. I would like to actually see her do something. Yeah, she didn't really get a chance to do much of anything here. It was almost a squash. Yeah. Match number three, the six-fan tag team match, Strong Hearts. Shima Issei Onitsuka and Shigehiro Irie defeated Kazayashi, Keiichi Sato, and Soma Watanabe in 11.44. So, let's go over the wrestlers here. Keiichi Sato, he is a longtime freelancer. He wrestled a lot for All Japan in 2016 through 19. Uh, lately, he's been showing up most often in uh, Kaliga Pro Wrestling. Which Wasn't is he a sweeper for like... Two seconds, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Watanabe is an ex Russell one guy who's now Simon Gleet. Pegaso Illuminar. Sa- I'm sorry? He used to be Pegaso Illuminar for you right. Russell one fans. Yeah. Uh, Sato is still a freelancer, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Onitsuka and Shima are both Gleet slash Stronghearts, uh, while Irie is just Stronghearts. So there you go. Apparently he hasn't signed with them. Onitsuka, I don't know where he came from. He, he's like been with Shima for a while now. I think he came up through OWE, I think. Yeah, no, he's one of the OWE guys, but he's yeah. not Chinese, is he? He's not Chinese, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I guess he was a Dragon Gate guy that they poached or something when he was still in yeah. the dojo. There's a big spot here where the Stronghearts team stacks everybody up and then all kind of splash down on top of them, eventually on each other, ending with Irie. That was a little too hokey for me, too goofy. Didn't really love that spot. Uh, things did pick up a lot, though, when the dive started. Uh, the crowd was really most impressed by... Irie's crossbody to a seed opponent on the apron, which send them both all the way out to the floor. Uh, you know that he's a big dude, so I get why that. That's he is a do. very large man. It's weird yeah. to see him do anything. Really <laughs> that was really feet. cool. That was really cool. But all the other dives are great too, though. Uh, there was one awkward spot where Shima like turned around a little too soon or something, and had to just stand there while Watanabe like actually set himself to hit a springboard drop kick. Uh, but for the most part, the action after all the dives was really fun. And Odinska ends up pinning Kaz Hayashi with a standing Rana. Uh, that was obviously a big upset, and they were going crazy about it afterwards. Uh, and Kaz even challenged him to a one-on-one match, just using his fingers. He's like, you and me one-on-one. So I guess that'll be coming up on a future Gleet show. 
But yeah, this had its rough parts, but really picked up a ton by the end. I will go three and a half stars on it. It was pretty fun by the end of the match. I'm not a Dragon Gate guy, but I think I liked it a little more than you. I went three and three quarter. Mm-hmm. And one note is both Shima and Kaz are WCW guys. That's true. Yeah. That's so weird. It is kind of weird. Uh, but yeah, that's the Gleet. That, that's that's Gleet's uh, maybe something coming up next. So that could be uh, the next uh, the the next G Pro Wrestling show, which is uh, July twenty fifth. Weirdly, they don't have anything left for UWF. That's in, they don't have anything coming up for the UWF part. It's kind of interesting, but I don't have to get into that. I guess uh, in, in a second. Anyway, uh, back to this show. So the main event of the pro wrestling half was Ryuchi Kawakami defeating T-Hawk in 1726. Um, so Kawakami, of course, he's an ex-Big Japan guy who moved over to Gleet and became a full-time Gleet roster member. Um, he's a very interesting guy on this, on this roster because, first of all, he's one of the few full-time roster members who doesn't have any, on the pro wrestling side, who doesn't have any connection to Russell One or Strong Hearts. You know, he came over from Big Japan. Um, and he's someone I want to see you know, do well here because I've always really liked him in Big Japan. I think and they, he, they never they, they wasted him. They never used him to do anything. He had that like little run with Kakuda where they won the All Asian belts and then lost him like a month later on All Japan show. But he was mostly like an undercard tag guy, right? Yeah, I mean, he never did anything like him. I mean, he had a few strong title challenges, I guess, but I don't know. They never seemed to want to use him uh, at a, at beyond a certain level. It's it's bizarre for a company that has, you know, it's like okay. If Kawakami was in New Japan and he was stuck behind a bunch of guys, it's like, okay, he's in fucking big Japan. I'm like, there is no depth at all in the strong division. Maybe give the guy a fucking shot at least. And they never wanted to really. It was really well, good. Which he was gave, awesome in those all Asia title matches you just talked about. But, they, they gave Daichi Hashimoto a chance, and that was like the one guy who debuted after 2010 that was allowed to hold the belt. Yeah, and it's just and and that actually was a pretty fun reign. So I don't know why you wouldn't give some younger guys. I mean, his last reign was pretty fun, not the first one. No, the first but, one sucked. Yeah, the first one sucked. But uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a, such a weird company. So there's no point in really trying to figure out the booking. But yeah, it's cool to see him here in Glee, and I hope they run with him. Which you know he did win here, so maybe they're going to. Uh, but yeah, this match was pretty standard stuff for a while. Really hard chops and such. Until we get a dive that goes kind of horribly wrong. Uh, T-Hawk is trying to hit a standard tope to Kawakami on the outside. But he way overshoots his target and barely connects with Kawakami. Really just his arm hit his, into his head as he's flying by. He fractured before. a bunch of ribs. Oh, did he really? I didn't even hear about that. He fractured two ribs, I think. He yeah. crashed in the railing hard, so I'm not surprised. But yeah, it makes the rest of his match even more impressive. Because this was, I mean, this match ended up being awesome. You know, it was really hard hitting. A lot of cool head drops and such. Featured the right guy winning, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Kawakami hit that fireman's carry into Michinoku, Michinoku driver thing he does for the pen. Uh, I, I, think think, I think. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. The, I think it's called the hurricane driver. There you go. I think this was my. So was it named after the the uh, the storm, the WWE wrestler, the hockey team, or the alcoholic drink? Maybe he really likes <laughs> the scorpions. There you go. Or oh, there you go. There's another one. <laughs> It could be any any of that. The Japanese like a lot of bad American hard rock. That is true. They definitely do. <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so this to me was the first four star match I've ever seen from Gleet. They beat the piss out of each other. Had a pretty awesome match. So I went four flat. Uh, I really enjoyed this. I did too, and I actually I wrote them down, so I'm not just copying it. 
<laughs> uh, but yeah, that's a, that was an awesome match. Anything else you want to say about this one? No, I just thought it was great. I mean, no, that... Um, what was it? That tope was horrifying. Yeah. The like, I knew he broke his ribs before I saw the match, and then I <laughs> saw it, and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that does it for the pro wrestling half. So now all the remaining matches are under Gleet UWF rules. So let me explain how this works. So the original UWF, okay, or yes, by the like the original UWF, in a singles match, each wrestler would have would start a match with 15 points. They would lose different number of points. I don't remember exactly how much for you having to use the ropes to get a rope break, being knocked down. I think the knockdown was the, the most point loss. I think there was like five, whereas like the rope break was only one. Or being at a disadvantage in a hold, which was like the most um What's it called? It's the hardest to quantify. The hardest to quantify, yeah. And I think that one was like five. That was three, three, I think. I think oh, three? Like, okay. I think they're one, three, five, but I can't remember. I, I think that sounds right. That sounds right. right. Yeah. But, uh, but they've – so th- that was the hardest to quantify. So I, I never had any – I'm like, oh, he lost three points because, uh, you know, he was in a disadvantage and a hold, I guess. So it does not have – it did not have pinfalls. So UWFI, towards the very end, did have pinfalls, uh, mostly because they were doing a lot of international stuff with New Japan – and, you know, they wanted to, uh, you know, let these guys get pins, I guess, instead of having to do knockouts or submissions. But for the most part, it's knockout, submission, or if you lose all your points, you lose. Now, the Ledette version, they have simplified this a lot. And, oh, I should mention, too, each wrestler started with 15 points. Tag team started with 21 points. And for the rare six-man tag, they started with 30 points. So... You know, the point values went up depending on how many people were in the match. Ledette simplified this a lot. No matter what type of match it is, singles or tag, both teams or both wrestlers start up with five points. Uh, if they had to take a rope break, they lose a point. If they get knocked down, they lose a point. There's no more uh, submission disadvantage thing. So it's just those two things. Well, I think it's if you get knocked down enough for the ref to start counting. Like you can just, you can take right, a right, right. A, a knock, a knockdown. Yes. So that's what that's what a knockdown is called. So I should have I should have specified like you can get if you just get like knocked down or suplex or something and get right back up. It's then it's not a knockdown. But if you like can't get up right away from a kick or if the, if ref, the ref starts to ten count, basically. if the ref starts to ten count, yeah, then you that counts as a knockdown and you lose a point. So if you run out of points, you know if you get knocked down or have to get a rope break five times, you lose the match. So. Uh, that is how the UWF rules work in in, uh, in Gleet, which I don't mind that simplification at all. I think it kind of makes a lot of sense, you know? So uh, I don't know how you feel about it, but I think it's... I you know, like it because easier. you could actually follow what's going on. Yeah, it's a lot easier to follow. And they have the graphics there to remind you what the total is, which I always like. So, you know. So now that we've explained the rules, the first UWF rules match was a tag team match. Uh, Dajiro Matsui and Tetsuya Izuchi... Matsui had, had a very interesting career. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get that. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. They defeat Minoru Tanaka and Sum Watanabe in 8.57. So, uh, Watanabe, we went over. He's pulling double duty here. Uh, Minoru Tanaka should be well known to most of you. Uh, he also signed with Gleet here, so he's a Gleet wrestler. And, you know, he's a guy who obviously goes way back to New Japan and battle arts. And, you know, he's, he had a lot of, lot of experience with the shoot style, in other words. Uh, he was very, most recently in Noah, I guess, but here he is in Gleet. I think he signed, right? He signed with yeah, he signed. Yeah, with Gleet. he signed. He signed with Gleet. He was uh, yeah, he was like junior tag champion last year for like fifteen seconds or yeah. two years ago. 
And why don't you, you – so you're all raring to go here from Matt Stanley. He's 40 I'm not years raring old. to go. Uh, just, <laughs> so I go ahead. Tell me, God me, damn it. Tell me about uh, it. He started off in UWFI. He had like three matches, four matches, yeah. six. Then he went to Kingdom with Sakuraba. So is nobody that, knows what Kingdom is, so let's explain that. Kingdom was the UWFI follow-up after UWFI went out of business from the New Japan feud. And it lasted like what? Only, I think, a year and a half or something? It was like closer to three, I think. Oh, okay. Well, it, it, it didn't last that long. It's and how Sakuraba it, got into UFC because they tried to get press for Kingdom. Yeah, and then and then they basically fold it to into Pride. Yeah. So Pride takes over for Kingdom. And their logo looks like the Xbox logo. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> every time we see an Uncaged match, I'm like, why did Xbox want a promotion? But yeah, uh, Matsui also did uh, Battle Arts. He did IGF. Uh, he did but he, very bad MMA. He did very bad MMA. 12, Why, 25, and 7. <laughs> there you go. Uh, he hasn't really been active since 2015, so he's basically coming out of retirement for this. He only uh, had 18 matches like a decade before that. Yeah, so not a guy who wrestles a ton, but, you know. Izuchi, he's a heat-up guy. The only non-Gleach signed wrestler in this match. And Matsui uh, also kind of looks like he should be Great Okan's dad. That was my like, <laughs> one takeaway from that. There you go. So both teams use the ropes to escape a hold early on. So we end up at four to four relatively quickly. Uh, Tanaka then escapes another one, I think a triangle against Suzuki to go down four to three. Uh, Watanabe has to escape a cross arm breaker from Matsuri with the ropes. That puts their team down four to two. Uh, but then he manages to knock Matsuri down almost right after with a nice spinning back kick that just hits him right in the gut that he just like collapses on. I mean, I like that a lot because it's like it shows a knockdown doesn't have to be a head kick, you know? Uh, and that made it three to two at that point. But then Matsuri soon after uh, taps out Watanabe almost immediately with a Kimura to give his team a win. And I thought this match was a great start for the UWF rules in in, uh, in, in Gleet. I mean, this is exactly what I was hoping for out of this style: fast mat work, fast striking, no laying around on the mat for hours in, in the fucking guard like you see in shoot style matches sometimes. I went three and three quarters on this. Really enjoyed it. I went three and a half. I, I do really like it though. Anything else you want to note from the match? No, not really. It was fun, but it was short, right? It was like nine minutes. Yeah, it's it like hard to talk about. Yeah, as a lot of UWF rules matches will often be. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, match number six. Also, well, I, I guess I can stop saying every match we are now is UWF rules. This this was the UWF rules Joshi match, which I thought was interesting. So Chihiro Hashimoto defeated Maya Fukuda in four fifty. Now, Hashimoto, she's the Sendai Girls Ace. She's been their world champion since October 2019, in her fifth reign with the belt. Uh, very few title defenses, though, because Sendai Girls has not really run much at all during the pandemic. Doesn't Hashimoto have, like, every other reign? I think so. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there have been nine know. reigns in CS5. I mean, she's a, she is a, you know, this little tank. Uh, I, sh- I mean, I say little. She's a short tank. She's very similar body to, uh, what's her name, and Jordan Grace and, uh, or Jordan yeah. Grace and, and Impact. They had actually had a great match together, like, three years ago in Sunday. Yeah. So, like, you know, short little tank, big muscular body, and, like, you know, she has that amateur wrestling background, and she can just toss people around. I mean, she makes total sense for a, a the ace of a Joshi company. I mean, she looks like an ace, honestly. She's in she's an indie tag team with you from, formerly from TJPW. Team, yeah. What's it, 200 kilograms? Yeah, I think that's right. Yes, they're deadlift. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, Maya, on the other hand, she's only 20 years old. She's from something called Actric. Now, it was really... Really difficult to find anything about Actrig. There's nothing in English at all. I did find some Japanese sources, which I had to 
uh, try to read, which, you know, is always difficult for me. Uh, from as far as I can tell, I did, I did get a little bit of help from, a. Uh, Flukey, who is Luke, who's been on this show before. And, I, and basically I went to him and I was like, am I reading this right? And he was like, yes. So uh, Actoring is a spinoff of Actress Girls. It's a, like, they, I think they, they basically, what they call it basically translates to their performance art. Uh, is that spin-off. where Arisa Hoshiki is doing matches now? I think, maybe. Okay. I don't know. Maybe, I actually don't know. Maybe you're right. But yeah, they, they describe it as... Um, you know, stage performance. That's how that's what it's described as. So, you know, there's matches, but the matches sometimes have like monologues in the middle of them. Um, so it's WWE. <laughs> it's Roman Reigns. There you go. I mean, I think it's probably actually closer to like Makai, you know, which uh, Hikaru Shida does obviously when she's in Japan. But yeah, the roster is made up of a mix of uh, you know actress girls regulars and different gimmicks. Actress girls regulars appearing as themselves. And then these rookies who haven't appeared in the main promotion yet, but they're clearly being trained in the same dojo. And that's almost verbatim what Luke said. So I'll give him credit for that. Uh, but yes, this is a very different kind of, you know, style and presentation. Uh, but, you know, and Fukuda is one of these uh, rookies that hasn't actually debuted in Actress Girls yet. Has only been an actoring. But uh, there you go. It's like a, it's a state performance spinoff of Actress Girls. Fukuda so just uh, looks like someone Ross Yogao would want to sign. Yeah, pretty much. She looks like blonde Hannah Kimura. I mean, yeah. My immediate yeah. reaction was like, Ross, he's going to just fucking see this show and pull up. <laughs> he's going to be pulling up, that is for sure. Uh, but yeah, so Chihiro has a huge size advantage on the skinny Fukuda to the point where the match almost looks absurd. She gets a half crab on her pretty much immediately, which causes her to have to use a rope break. She then gets an angle lock right after that, causing her to use another rope. That was a already... vicious Boston Crab, though. I wrote U-style Boston Crab. <laughs> U-style Boston Crab. <laughs> uh, people don't know U-style is what people refer to UWF-style promotion yes. says. I think there is a promotion called U-style, too. Yeah, there uh, might be. And then I Chihiro, don't know if it's still around. Yeah. I think it is. And then Chihiro just throws her around with a big gut-wrench suplex. But Maya then fights back. She gets some strikes, but Chihiro completely no-sells all of them. Like, just does not sell a single thing. But finally, a high kick does stun Chihiro and knock her back. But then Chihiro immediately grabs her and slams her down hard. Uh, that leads to a knockout tease. Maya recovers, but then Chihiro immediately applies the ankle lock again and gets her to tap out. So this is basically a squash, but it was a fun squash. So I went three stars on it. Uh, Chihiro was great at dominating the match, unsurprisingly. And I thought Maya was a pretty good on dog as well. So. I I went three two. I also it was almost like a prison beatdown or something. It was. <laughs> did you notice like after the two consecutive submissions, they just cut to Tamara, Kyoshi Tamara is like the Kaz Hayashi, but for the U style, and he's just disappointed in her. So Tamara was what well, he comes from rings, right? He's the rings guy. He, yeah, he came from right. UWF, and but he's the guy who's in charge of the um, U style. Yeah. Like so he's he's a. I think because I've seen a lot of him in Rings. I don't remember seeing a lot of him in UWF, but maybe I'm. Well, he started Rings. I don't remember where he came from. Okay. Uh, what did he? No, no, no. Maida started Rings. Oh no, no. Then what am I thinking of? Yeah, Maida started Rings. Maida, but okay. Tamora was like the ace of Rings. Tamora was like the ace of Rings. Yeah, Yeah. I just got to Tamora. Maida confused. Yeah. Okay, so he did wrestle in UWF. Yeah, he was in UWFI. I don't know what I'm thinking of. Yeah, he was in UWFI from 91 to 96. He's the guy uh, in the red track suit that they yeah. kept cutting to, just stern in the crowd. Yeah, he got really upset with 
so it looks like he got upset when when Vader was in UWFI, basically, and that's kind of how he ended up jumping to rings. So, but yeah, he just kind of became the oh he what oh well remember that U style thing I mentioned? I thought that was a promotion. He founded yeah. that. So okay. he's, he was the founder of U style. There you go. Yeah, know. he's like the booker for the U Glee day. U Glee. Yeah, which makes sense. W F Yeah, it obviously makes sense for that role. So. Uh, then we have, oh, I should mention too. The other thing I wanted to mention is, uh, Chihiro was awesome here. And I, I really want to see more of her in UWF style matches. That was really fun. I just like seeing Chihiro wherever she pops up. She's so much fun. Yeah. Semi-main event, Masukatsu Funaki defeats Yu Izuka in 7.58. Uh, Funaki really needs no introduction, I think. He's a freelance guy. Um, but he obviously was one of the founders of Pancrase. Uh, you know, just a, been been doing all this stuff forever and just great at it. A dojo uh, made of Minoru Suzuki. Yeah. Izuka comes from Heat Up, where he's been wrestling since 2016, uh, but he's now signed with Gleet, so he's jumped over there. Uh, this is a little slower paced than the earlier UWF Rules matches. A lot more laying around, especially early. Uh, Izuka ends up having to get the first rope break from a Fujiwara armbar attempt from Funaki early on. Uh, Funaki gets a knockdown and a high kick. It looks like it hit Izuka's arm more than anything, but I guess the idea was the kick was so forceful, it still knocked him down. Funaki then tried to follow up with a quick barrage of strikes, but Izuka uses the opening to get a nice armbar takedown. That results in Funaki having to get the ropes. Yeah, the old Nakamura-style floating armbar, like when you just cast the lariat. That was really cool. And that made it 4-3 to at that point. Uh, Things really pick up from there, some fun striking. Uh, Izuka, though, gets dropped by a capo kick from Funaki, which makes it 4-2 to now. Uh, Funaki quickly applies a sleeper hole from behind, and Izuka has no choice but to tap. So that is the end. Uh, a little dull early, but had a hot finishing sequence at least, so I decided to go three and a quarter. I went three and a half. I liked it a little more. Uh, what'd you like about it? I just liked... I wasn't... I just liked how fast it got towards the end. I just... There's something about it where it felt organic, and I was amused... Also, mm-hmm. at the end, with Izuka being dead on the map, that just scrape him up. Yeah, but that didn't affect the rating. I just kind of liked. Yeah, uh, Funaki dominated for the most part, which certainly makes sense. But Izuka got to show a little fire and some pushback too, at least. Uh, definitely more than my Fukuda got to show in the last match. That's for sure. Uh, the main event, and I think the reason why a lot of people may have t- paid attention to this, show defeated Takanori Ito by referee decision in 1617. So this match, obviously, show as in, yes, the New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, show, the ha- one-halfer Punky 3K. Uh, you know, it just the first... I'm trying to remember the last time a New Japan wrestler, like, contracted wrestler, not even, like, a freelancer like Suzuki, appeared on a freelance show. It has to be, like... I would imagine it would be when they were still working with, the- with, with Taka. Would the Baba Memorial stuff count? Oh, you're right. That would count. That was pretty recent. Yeah, that was this uh, year. If you want to count like an actual promotion, then it would probably be like when Kaintai Dojo when Taka was still there. And Kojima did the All Japan match in 2017. I remember yeah. that. I think I where he someone, killed Suama. Yeah, someone someone must have worked Kaintai Dojo in 2018 though. That'd yeah. probably be the last one. But it's been a little while. So, you know, the uh, Joe Lanza went into all that stuff on the Voice Wrestling flagship Patreon. I'm not going to steal his, uh, you know, steal his scoop. So you can check that Patreon out if you want to uh, hear about the circumstances behind this. But basically, it comes down to Dick Togo. So there you go. 
Uh, Ito is, of course, the Russell One guy. He kind of had a Kevin Owens lookalike thing going on for a long time. Uh, he is, of course, also Simon McLeet. And, you know, I think he's doing both pro wrestling and UWF stuff. So, you know, he was pretty good at both of them, I think. Ito and Show, they spent a lot of time fighting over a leg lock on the mat at first. Not terribly interesting, honestly. But then the way they transition from that to the guard was kind of neat. And they do stand up pretty quickly after that. Uh, the first rope break comes when Show gets a cross arm breaker on Ito, which forces Ito to quickly make the ropes. That makes it 5-4 Show. Uh, a Kimura from Show again sees Ito need to use a rope break, which makes it 5-3. to three. Uh, But Ito then catches Show with this sick counter knee to the face uh, as he's in the middle of trying for a takedown. Basically the same shoot knee that like killed Nakamura in that, you know, in the shoot fight. Uh, so I feel like that's been a spot in these pro in these shoot style wrestling matches forever because that's kind of that uh, famous moment. But yeah, that leads to a huge leaping spine buster from Ito. And for oh, people, sorry, I think the more the and they also do it in the Sakuraba maps in Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a reference to that. Yeah, which a lot, I feel like more people probably saw than like indie shoot style <laughs> matches. That's probably true. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So if people have seen that. That it's the same name. Uh, but yeah, that's what that was a tribute to. It was a tribute to the shoe fire. Uh, show makes the ropes on the half crab, so it's now four to three. Great sequence there. We get our first knockdown tease. Ito hits a big German suplex right after slamming his way out of the arm bar. Uh, show does get back up, but the points are now three to three. Ito starts just laying into show with slaps to the face, leading into a really energetic sequence. And the striking on display here is really great. Uh, Ito just starts screaming right in show's face for good measure. Show the that finally goes behind Ito to put a stop to that, and then he takes him down to the mat from there. But Ito is able to stand back up before Show can really get any kind of hold on. Uh, so they're back to slapping each other, and then Ito hits a hard high kick that just drops Show for another knockdown. That makes it three two Ito it, now. That got an eight count actually. Yeah, it was pretty close. Uh, the moment Show gets back up, Ito charges with a leaping knee and keeps up with the striking. But Show finally catches his leg, hits his own slaps, a Larry to the face, and then a German suplex. Then he like kind of rolls back like he's going to do the rolling German, but then instead does a takedown straight into an arm bar that looks really cool. Ito tries to slam his way out again by lifting Show, but this time he can't do it, and the referee stops the match. So this was an awesome main event. I went four stars flat on this as well. Both guys just beat the piss out of each other here in between some really nice mat work. So there you go. I went four and a quarter. I do really appreciate that Ito actually had the point advantage going in. Yeah. Because all the other the other three prior, I don't know about on the show at least, I don't know about the other UWF Ledette matches, or UWF Gleet matches, sorry, if, if that ever happens. I do like the idea, oh, because I didn't think show was going to get tapped. I thought he might lose on points, you know what I mean? Yeah. I could see maybe New Japan allowing that. So, yeah. Yeah. So I legitimately fell for, oh, he might win, he might lose. Yeah. You know, might win. But instead, show did win by referee stoppage. Uh, overall, I thought this was a very fun show. And I definitely think I'll keep up with Gleet from here. It's like, it feels like an antidote to so much of wrestling right now, even a lot of Japanese wrestling in, in this form, because it's like there's no bullshit at all. There's really not even any storylines. It's just straight ahead wrestling, bunch of matches, bunch of good matches. And like, you know, the, the, the UWF style is completely different from what other people are doing right now. And even the pro wrestling matches, like the, the atmosphere and the presentation just feels very different. 
And, you know, I think it's a great start. And, you know, it's definitely something I'm going to keep up with. So I think uh, even the UWF matches from match to match were different enough because you had like the tag match, you had that women's match that was barely a match. You had, I think it was, you had the rookie match against the Funaki. So I think it was just, it was like eight different matches. It didn't feel like you were just watching the same four undercard matches. Yeah, that's a good yeah, point. Like, where it's just the same four, three, I mean, six, eight, and 10 man tag. Exactly. So the upcoming UWF, or not UWF, the upcoming uh, Gleet shows, they're both G Pro Wrestling. So we have G Pro Wrestling version one uh, that is on July 25th on Sunday, which is from Osaka in the Azuria Taisho Hall, which is the smaller building in Osaka for sure. Uh, and then the second show is Wednesday, October 4th for G Pro Wrestling version two from Shinjuku Face. Again, a smaller venue. Although I find it interesting they're booking the uh, much nicer and much more expensive Shinjuku face than Shingiba. Uh, that the is Taiso Hall is also very nice looking too. Yeah. So that's Wednesday, August 4th. So that's G Pro Wrestling version 2. And there's no cards yet for either show. So uh, we will have to see, uh, you know, what those what those shows look like. But they're, you know, the, so not, no UDF style matches in those two, it seems like. It seems like these are going to be just the pro wrestling style matches and we'll have to wait and see. Uh, you know, what what else is coming up as far as, like, you know, any other kind of matches, any other UWF matches. But, I mean, I honestly came away from this card more excited about the UWF stuff than anything, so I kind of wish there was some UWF-style shows coming up, but, uh, you know, it seems like they're doing the pro wrestling first, so we'll have to wait and see. Now, Did you, UW- fucking, you come away thinking you want to watch more Gleet? At least the UWF Gleet. But, yeah, yeah. no, I, I enjoyed the pro wrestling, but I don't think... It- I think the smaller shows I'm not going to follow as much, but like something like this where it was like fun four and four that I'm definitely going to watch. There you go. All right. So we can wrap this episode up. Anything you want to plug Devin? I don't know. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at more than meet joy. Okay. Uh, of course you can follow us on Twitter at Russell Omakase. Wrestling, wrestling wouldn't fit. fit. No, <laughs> fit. you're the first person ever tried to steal that line from me. I'm know. disappointed the Patreon isn't Wrestle Omikaze. <laughs> <laughs> it should be, probably. Uh, but yes, so you can, like I said, follow us on Twitter. Uh, you can sign up for the Patreon at patreon.com slash wrestling omikaze. Uh, it's, like I said, a lot of fun, a lot of cool stuff coming up, including next week's episode, where I will be joined uh, by a guest that I haven't set up yet, but to review the New Japan uh Summer Struggle in Sapporo shows, which is my first New Japan watching and reviewing in a while. So, you know, be fun to try to jump back in and see what they've been up to. Uh, You'll get a big Taichi main event. That is true. I'm very excited for the uh, Dangerous Techers against Naito and Sonata. That could be awesome. Um, also coming up on the Patreon, like I mentioned earlier, our Tokyo Dome main event one match series. Uh, definitely at least one episode this coming week with covering the Keiji Muno versus Takata match from 1995. Uh, there you go. So that'll be coming up this week on the Patreon. Again, it's only $5. It is at patreon.com slash wrestling omakase. Our next time on the free feed will be in two weeks. Uh, I think it'll be the Tokyo Dome Retro Roulette Part 2. I haven't quite confirmed that yet, but I think that's what we'll be doing. So, you know, that'll be another fun one. If you missed Part 1, which I think was Patreon only, uh, we're basically just going to pick Six random Tokyo Domes and six random matches other than the main events because, again, we're doing the main events uh, in order on the Patreon. 
So you can get all kinds of wacky stuff here, obviously, when you do a Tokyo Dome Retro Roulette. So that's coming up in two weeks uh, on the free feed. In the meantime, thank you as always for listening, and I will see you next time.